0: I will be with the one I love, with unveiled face. I'll see him. There my soul will be satisfied. That is the hope, brothers and sisters, that we hold on to. One day Christ will return and our souls will be satisfied. What a glorious day that will be. Well, I'm going to invite you to take your Bible with me as we turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, but I want to begin at uh, chapter 1, verse 31, through to verse 3, to verse 3 of chapter 2. So you'll find that in the church Bible on page 2. Genesis chapter 131 through chapter 2, verse 3. Let's give our attention to God's word being read. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is God's word. Would you join me in a prayer of preparation? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. It is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It pierces to the very core of our beings, dividing, Figuratively speaking, joints and marrow. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of our heart. So God, we know that this word has power because you say it does. And because these words have come from your mouth, they are our daily bread. We live by them. Lord, would you grant to us in this time of hearing grant that we would hear from you that your words would transcend the words of a mere man that you would accomplish in us what only you can do by your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for myself in the proclaiming of it that I would be a faithful proclaimer that what I say would only help and not hinder and that you would give up us all of us hearts and minds that are attentive and ready to receive the food of your word so we pray in all of this that jesus himself would be glorified and we ask it in his name amen uh you know just sharing a little bit with some of you uh, before the service this uh this recent cold snap has made me long for warmer climate. <laughs> I think we probably all agree. Uh, somebody shared this morning that they're going to be traveling to Florida. Kathy and I get that opportunity uh, mid-March. We're going to go. i been invited by her brother to join with them for a time in the warmth. <laughs> you know, But it, we think of vacations. And I was, I was reminded of when I was a kid, my parents told us that, that they were going to take us on a, a vacation to Florida, and, and there would be some other relatives there. These were very close relatives, but we didn't get to spend much time with them through the year. We'd see them only once or twice in the year, so I was very excited for this, this trip. That was a last-minute decision. We were going to join those relatives, and in my mind, we we're just going to have an absolutely wonderful time. Well, when we arrived, we, we discovered that we couldn't stay at the same hotel And that was a disappointment. Um, They had already been there some time, and so the time that we were there with them was actually only a few days. That was also a disappointment. In short, the trip failed to live up to what I imagined it would be. And it's not because anything was disappointing about the location, but basically because we could not be with our friends in the way that we had imagined. It was not about the place. It was about the people. Now, as we look uh, at this part of the creation story, this seventh day, I, I want us to notice that it's not so much about the place that God created, but it's about how, how God satisfies our deepest longings in Him. Now, when we put the focus on the place, when we put the focus on the stuff more than we do on the person of God Himself, we miss the very blessing that He intends for us. So as we look at this passage of Scripture and seek to to make application to our lives, and I trust that the Holy Spirit will will certainly make these things clear to us, Uh, I want to use uh, three headings just so that we can organize our thinking around this. And they are these. First heading is God completes or completed His work. Second, God rested from His work. And third, God gives us rest in his work. God gives us rest in His work. First of all, God completed His work. Have you ever finished a work week thinking, I have accomplished everything that I wanted to do and it was all perfect? Have you ever had a week like that? Well, I've never had a week like that. I don't know anybody who's ever had a week like that. They said it was all perfect. Perfect. And we think of of, of craftsmen, people who make things. Um, Even the most skilled of them will will speak of things that they would do differently at the end of a project. And in fact, think of this thing, and I'm going to call out Aaron. He prayed for us, but Aaron crafted this this beautiful lectern. And and though my eye cannot see any flaws, it is beautiful. He has told me about them. He said, well, there's this and there's that. I'm going, well, I don't see it. He is an excellent, albeit imperfect craftsman because he is not God. You see, only God can say it's absolutely perfect. It is absolutely complete. And God did say that. Chapter 1, verse 31. God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. Everything. Everything was the entirety of the cosmos, the galaxies, the planets, and the land that he had prepared for man to dwell in. God was pleased with his work. The land was very good. It was a very good place for man to dwell. Chapter 2, verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them, the host of them, they are mankind humankind, and all of the beings that filled the land that he had made. In this, we're told that God completed the work of making a place for man to dwell with him. God completed that work of making the place for man to dwell with him, that is with God. And God completed the work of making man for the the very dwelling place that he created. So, what, what, is, what is in view here is that the creation was ideal. It was ideal in purpose. Now again, this is the heart of God. This is God providing. He provided an ideal place. The land was ideal in purpose. The land was now that perfect place for man to be in fellowship with God and to exist in, and fully thrive the life of man in this place and all of the creatures would ultimately be sustained by all that God had made. So it was ideal in purpose, but it was also ideal in design. It works. And all we have to do is consider, uh, and, and scientists, astronomers had, have figured this out, but the, the distance of the earth from the sun in its orbit, the precision with which it's all put together it, it just declares that there's a divine designer in it all, a degree off, different, we burn or freeze. No, it, it works perfectly. And the, the, the earth endures. It endures. It's so ideal and perfect in design that it endures. And even, even when God would judge the earth, judge the people on the earth in the time of Noah, when God brought that judgment for their wickedness, the very design of creation was able to endure. It says in Genesis eight twenty two, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. It works. It's ideal in design. So we, we step back from this creation and, and we can conclude that in an instant, Genesis 1, 1, God created everything out of nothing. And then in six days, Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 2 and following. And then in six days, God prepared an ideal land. And whether, whether God does something uh, immediately over the period of days or years or millennia, God always completes His work. And what God does is very good. So what are the implications of this, this truth? God completed His work. Well, first of all, the very nature of what God completed, that it was perfect and ideal. So as as those who belong to the Lord, we should take every opportunity to stop and marvel at the beauty of the works of God. Give thanks to God and delight in all that he has done. And whether those works are, are for our joy or for judgment, as the psalmist says, come behold the works of the Lord how he has brought desolations on the earth. Now, another implication of, of the fact that God completed his work, and this is really obvious, but, but we need to take this to heart. God is the one who works, and the implications of that are that he does not need our help. He's not looking around creation going, I'm, I'm wondering who, who can help, manage this thing, who can make sure that it's in good order. No, God is the one who purposes, God plans, God organizes, God promises, God executes, God fulfills. And it's important that we take this to heart. And I think that this serves for us as a corrective against having really an elevated view of our own importance in sustaining the world. If we look at the world as a thing, apart from the God who gave it, we go down a path to eternal dissatisfaction. Here's what I mean. When when people forget, or really more accurately, when, when people suppress the truth that God is the creator and the completer of all that we have, it leads to all kinds of absurd, and I'll put in quotes, truths. Just think with me, how many times has it been reported, and I see these news stories all the time, that a huge asteroid, and and they call these things NEOs, near-Earth objects. How many times has it happened that it's been reported that this asteroid of such a size, if it were to impact the Earth, it would wipe out the Earth's population? And we're told this has passed dangerously close to the Earth. Now, of course, what they're saying in that is, Maybe the next one. We don't know. This one was dangerously close. Of course, what they're concerned about is what they believe will be a repeat of what they say wiped out the dinosaurs a million years ago. They say. But that won't happen. It's not in the plan. The earth must remain until Jesus returns, as he has promised. And even when we think about it, if there are worldwide catastrophic events like a pandemic, God is in control of that. Now, I'm not suggesting that because God works, we we do not have some responsibility in creation. I'm not suggesting that we do not try to find a cure or a medical prevention for disease and virus. That is certainly part of God's common grace. But God is ultimately behind it. If we find the vaccine, God ultimately gave the knowledge. If we find a treatment that's effective, God ultimately gave that knowledge. So that there is a pandemic or a tornado or a flood or a hailstorm or cancer or heart disease, God has permitted it and He is in control of it. And whatever He has promised in this world will absolutely come to pass. God will complete his work and he will complete it according to the timetable he has already planned. Now, that's creation. That's the earth. That's the cosmos. And if God has and will complete his work of creation, how much more, how much more will he complete his work in you and me? Now, while God has finished his work of creation, because of human rebellion, that's our sin, he is still working in his people to make them new creations. Now, if you're a child of God this morning, if you have put your own trust in Jesus, if you understand who he is as Savior, If you have seen through the pages of the Scriptures, if you've heard it and taken it to heart, as is preached always here, that Jesus, the divine Son of God, took your sins to the cross, paid for them there with His own life. If you have believed that, then God is working Everything around you and in you to complete the work of making you like Jesus in character. A familiar passage, Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, we look at our own lives. We think, Wow. It seems like a pretty slow process, doesn't it? It might seem like your own journey is one of fits and starts. You believed in Jesus, but you're discouraged because you're not making the progress that you thought you would make. Take these words to heart. God completed his work of creation and he will complete his work in you, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We cannot rightly relate to God unless that we acknowledge that he is the creator, that he has finished his work for us to dwell with him. He finished His work of preparing a place, and He will finish His work of conforming you to the very image of His Son. Well, second, God rested from His work. He rested from His work. We're talking about work, but you, you know what this is like when you've had a really busy week, when, when the work just seemed to pile up and you couldn't seem to get ahead of it. I'm sure you've had a week like that. And, and each night is marked by the fact that you go to sleep thinking about all that you have to accomplish the next day. Right? It's just a cycle. But then, then comes the weekend. You get that little, little break. But even through the weekend, you know, Monday is coming, and the cycle begins all over again. I know, it's a pretty pessimistic view of work, but some of you have experienced that for seasons. But what if, what if the weekend came and it never ended and the work was done for good? Maybe that's retirement for you, I don't know. Well, in the creation narrative, that's the seventh day. Now, there's some really important distinctions uh, between what God did and the human experience, but that's the seventh day. Look at verse 2. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. What does it mean for God to rest? What does it mean for God to rest? Well, God certainly wasn't tired from his work. God, God, in his complete character, in his absolute infinite power, God cannot be depleted or diminished as a result of the things that he does. We, we put effort out, and we get tired. You have a long day at work, doing what you did, you're mentally tired, you're physically exhausted, and you need to rest. God completed his work, but he was not diminished. He, it was done. God is an unlimited storehouse of power. But I want you to notice something. And, and it even shows up in verse 31, as it does related to the sixth day as it does to every other day prior. Notice what happens. On every other day of preparing the land, there was evening, there was morning, the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth day. That The activity of one day anticipated the next, but not so on the seventh. Not so on the seventh. The day after the work was completed was a new day. It was a day that was different than the six preceding days. And God resting here is a theological statement about the fact that nothing more was needed to be done regarding the land forever. Nothing more was needed to be done. In essence, what the seventh day was was to be a day that would not end, a perpetual day. God's rest for us marks a new day a perpetual day a never ending weekend that's so diminishing it's got to be better than that an eternal rest and this is so beautifully illustrated in Jesus himself isn't it now if you we recently made our journey through the Gospel of John. It took a little time. But but one of the things that, that stood out in my mind is how often Jesus said that he came to do the work that the Father had given him to do. Jesus said, I do only what the Father gives me to do. I say only what the Father gives me to say. So as the Word of God, who was in the beginning with God, and who was and indeed is God, Jesus, he, Completed his work to restore us to fellowship with God and then rested. Nothing more to be done. The writer of Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 explains. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So really sharing, uh, telling us the very identity of who Jesus is as the divine Son of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, the very image of God. And what does he do? He upholds the universe by the word of his power. But then speaking of what he accomplished on the earth, after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. Sorry, at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down. Everything, everything needed for your salvation has been accomplished by God. Everything needed for the man to dwell in was completed by God and God rested and gave us a perpetual day. Now, Now, we've marred that. By our sin, we have, we have traded away God's good gifts. But God has come once again to provide everything we need. Now, we know people who profess to believe in Jesus. They organize their lives in such a way as to, well, I think they're, assembling a list of good things that they have done. Maybe not formally by writing it down, but in their minds they have said, well, you know, I've got this and this and this and this. This would certainly commend myself to God. They believe they are bringing their efforts for their own salvation. Now that misses what God has accomplished. God rested. Jesus rested. It's all been done by Him. And that leads me to the final point here. God gives rest in His work. He gives that to us. He gives us rest in His work. Now, I know you've probably been blessed by someone. I don't mean to say when somebody says bless you, but you've been blessed by someone showing some special kindness to you. And I've seen this in our church family. You bless each other all the time. I've seen, uh, I've seen you bless one another by, by giving a meal when somebody was ill or grieving or, or after the birth of a child, a meal is provided. I've seen you bless others among us when you've helped unpack the truck after a move or, or when you've helped load up the truck in preparation for the move. And I can personally say I have been blessed by so many of you in in personal ways. An encouraging word, a note, a thoughtful or generous gift. All of those blessings came at some kind of intentional, personal sacrifice of time or thought or resources. We bless each other when we give to one another. Well, if we ask the question, who Or what did God bless after he finished his work in creation? Verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Well, what does it mean that God blessed the seventh day? In the same way that I've been blessed by somebody giving, doing something for me, you've been blessed by others giving something for you. Certainly, he does not mean the day itself felt a blessing. When God made the seventh day holy, did did the day itself have some appreciation that it was different from the other six? No, that's not what's in view. Now, did God bless the seventh day and make it holy for his own sake, Did he do that for himself? Did God bless himself? In a, in a sense, he did, but this is important. He blessed that day for his own sake only as it regarded the fact that he created already. He had already created man in his own image. And even though the man and the woman, humanity, is not mentioned here, the blessing of the seventh day has Him in view. When God blessed the seventh day, He blessed it and made it holy for the good of His people. That's what He did. And that's the point. God blessing the seventh day was an act of His goodness toward His people. Because God gives rest in His work, He gives us rest in His work. Now, how are his people to rest in what God has given? How are we, as the people of God, how do we rest in what he has given? We trust him. God's people rest in what he has given by trusting him. That's it. That's the basic truth. Trust him. Everything that God did, everything that God did, he did so that man in the creation story, what God did, he did so that man would not have to work. He gave him everything so that he could simply enjoy fellowship in a context. Enjoy the good gifts of the land where God would dwell with them. To have fellowship with him. Now, we have to look ahead to make sense of this. We'll see in chapter 3, and we'll, we'll deal with that uh, in a few weeks we're going to see how man chose not to rest in what God had given them. Instead, he, the, the, the man and the woman, they set their hearts on what God had forbidden. And Bobby talked about this in the Sunday school class this morning. They, they simply didn't trust God. They chose not to rest in what he had provided. Now, what was the consequence of their sin? What, what happened as a result of not trusting God? Toil, work. The ground was cursed. This is so very revealing. God gave mankind a forever rest. But man was dissatisfied. And the result had to work. Genesis 3, I'll read it. Seventeen. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. (laughs) So we'll get to the picture of what God provided for them in Eden and all that was there. But no longer would they simply enjoy that low-hanging fruit, that veritable buffet of, of delights. No longer would they have that perpetual day that God had given. Now they would have to work away from the presence of the Lord. Now, this is the big picture story of the first five books of the Bible. Genesis to Deuteronomy. Really, if you, if you treat it like one big book with, with five books, Major chapters, that's a great way to to picture this. It's called the Pentateuch. It's really about how God provided a land for his people, how God's people squandered what they had been given because of unbelief and how God graciously provided a way for them to be restored to the land again and find rest again. So track this with me. God gave Eden, right, the place of perpetual rest, but the man and woman lost it because of unbelief. In the very curse, God promised an offspring that would bruise the head of the tempter serpent. Now, outside of the garden, man toiled, but he held on to that promise. Now, we fast forward to Noah. Noah's name means rest. But what happened? And, and God judged the earth, right, because of the wickedness, but, but there's Noah. His name means rest. Rest. God wipes out every creature from the face of the earth, apart from Noah and his family, the man called rest. The human family is built up again. Is this it? No, not yet. God sets apart, as we continue through the story, God sets apart one man's family from all the others, Abraham and his descendants. Where do they end up? In slavery in Egypt. And they're promised, as God rescues them once again, they're promised a land a land flowing with milk and honey. Their promise that they will once again possess Eden, not for the sake of the land itself, but so that they can dwell with God, so that they can be his people and God would dwell among them. What happened? They had an opportunity to take the land. God said, here it is. They said, no, 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 I, we can't. They're too big. We, we can't overcome them. They wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And by the time we get to the end of Deuteronomy, they're on the, the precipice of possessing the land. Your God, Deuteronomy 25, 19, your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you in the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance to possess. Joshua reminds them of the same truth. They're just about to possess the land. Remember, he says, Joshua 1:13. remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and we'll give you this land. So, the land is God's rest. Well, sort of. See, I think it's meant to point us to a greater hope. That land of Canaan, they would have temporary rest. They would eventually build the temple. They would be ruled by a righteous King David but it wasn't the end because all of their kings failed ultimately and eventually they lost the land again, never to gain it again as a people. You see, it was never about a parcel of land alone. God's rest for God's people was always about God dwelling with his people and God's people enjoying the good gifts that he had given to them so that they would recognize that they came from the very hand of God. Now, As a consequence, I believe, of their rebellion, God would, in the law, in our Old Testament, God would mark out the seventh day. He would mark that seventh day out of the curse of toil as a reminder of a greater promise of rest. Leviticus 23.3, six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. The Israelites were, were told this. They were commanded to keep this day. They were to understand that their toil was because of sin. And brothers and sisters in Christ, because we were born in sin, we know nothing but toil. In light of that, God sent his son He is the seed who was promised in the curse in in Genesis chapter 3. He was the seed promised to be our perpetual day, to make it possible for you and me to be the new creation. In his teaching, when Jesus was challenged by religious leaders about the very Sabbath, as Jesus would heal on the Sabbath, he would do things in keeping with the blessing of God on the very Sabbath. Restoring, healing, giving of himself, giving joy, good gifts. The religious leaders looked at him and they sneered at him and said, you're working. Yes. God works for our rest. God has worked so that we find rest in his work. Yes. Now, of course, Jesus affirmed the importance of the Sabbath day. But he corrected the distorted understanding of it that had taken hold in the minds of people. It's exemplified by the very religious leaders of his day. Uh, Mark chapter 2, 27, 28. He said to them, when he was criticized for what they were, he was doing with his disciples, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, as I thought about this, unpacking what Jesus says, Here's how I see it. Man was not made, he was not created in order to honor the seventh day of the week. The Sabbath, the eternal rest was made because God graciously provided for his people. And Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is our Sabbath. Jesus is our eternal rest. God has come to us in our toil. God has come to us in our weariness, a weariness that is a consequence of our own sin. It is a consequence of our own rebellion. And God sent his son Jesus to work in our place that we might find rest in him. Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor." Labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. The point, the point was not ultimately a land. The point was rest for your very soul. In the presence of God to enjoy Him forever. So let me ask you this morning are you weary? Are you burdened down? God gives you rest in His work. What do you need to do? You need to believe. You need to believe. Believing is resting in what God has done for you. Now we need to be constantly reminded of this message. I want you to listen to this exchange. This is in the context of of Jesus' teaching after he fed the 5,000. Listen to this exchange between Jesus and, and some who are trying to figure out what they needed to do. He said to them, do not work For the food that perishes, he's talking about work, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. So play on words, don't work for stuff that perishes, but work for that which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him, God the Father has set His seal. So they asked the question for clarification. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered, This is the work of God. This is the kind of work God wants of you. This is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. That's the work. It's not really work. It's trust. So if you have believed, if you have found your rest in Christ, if you're waiting for the fulfillment of the eternal rest when He returns, what do you do in the meantime? Continue to trust. That's what we do. The Apostle Paul, I would say, cleverly explains the work of trusting. Philippians 2 Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, if we stopped there, we would have a a wrong view of salvation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does he mean? Well, we have to have verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So work out your own salvation. That is to say, live now in the light of the promise of an eternal rest with Christ. That promise of, a, of being in his presence. Live your life in light of that by trusting him now. That's how we work out our salvation. We continue trusting Christ, so, so here's how we live. We don't feel the rest. I get it. Some days we, we, we look at ourselves and we, we think, I, I failed. I'm not measuring up. I'm not enjoying. When we fail, we look to Christ and Confess and and we look around us and we think this doesn't feel very restful yes i know this isn't eden circumstances in this life there's grief loneliness disease you feel the turmoil in the world everything seems to be lacking rest the pandemic Hebrews 4 talks about the promise of that rest. The full experience of it. We've been given rest in Christ today. Jesus said we come to him. We're weary and heavy laden. He'll give rest. And we will find rest for our souls because it's a confidence in that there's more that this world is not going to be satisfying us, that we're not going to find Eden in the here and now, that we will not, by the right person who is elected or the right leader, we're not going to get what we think we want. We won't be satisfied here. Therefore, Hebrews 4 says, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. Just as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. He's speaking of the Israelites in the wilderness although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, it was the work of Christ, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, this is the exhortation, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying, though David so long ago afterward, in the words already quoted, here's the exhortation, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It is the great temptation in the world today to harden our hearts. Do not Harden your heart. Continue to look to Christ and, and cling to the hope of an eternal rest that he will give to us when he returns. And brothers and sisters in Christ, if you, if you cling to him now, you will experience his peace. You will have joy because it will be fixed on Christ himself who alone can satisfy us like nothing in this world can. God completed His work. He completed it. God rested from His work, and God gives us rest in His work. Flip to the end of the Bible, and we read these words from Revelation, 22:17. I'll close with this: "The spirit and the bride say come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. There is for us an eternal rest in Christ, and Jesus bids us, come, take from his hand. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the promises of your word. We can fix our own hope on the Lord Jesus who is the author and perfecter, completer of our faith. We fix our hope on him because for the joy set before him, he is the one who endured the cross and despised its shame. So Lord, remind us as we long for completion, as we long for an eternal rest. Keep us faithful to that day. And Lord, for those who are around us, wandering, looking to build their own promised land, may we, your people, be ready to point them to the true promised land in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. May Christ be glorified in all of these things and we pray it in his name, amen.